Thank you very much, everybody, for coming. It's delightful to see you. It's a busy week. There's freeze, there's pad, there's loads of stuff going on. So we're delighted to see you here tonight. Thank you. Um, before we get going, I would just like to say thank you very much to Massimo and the team at Moroso who have made this incredibly easy. This is an extraordinary space. Uh, delighted to be here. Uh, 20 years ago, actually, I uh, took a private jet to the Moroso factory. It was the 90s. It was a different time. And uh, uh, the, the level of precision and skill and craftsmanship that goes on in that factory is extraordinary. So they're really good fit for us. It's great to be here. Thank you very much. Um, but the reason we're here, obviously, is because it's a book club. And tonight we're talking to Alison Britton. As many of you know, I suspect, looking at this very learned-looking audience, uh, Alison is one of the nation's leading ceramicists whose work famously tests the outer limits of function. Uh, she's also an eminent curator. Uh, and has taught generations of aspiring ceramicists at the Royal College of Art since 1984. Mm -hmm. right? And some of them are here now. And some of them are here now, very Orwellian. Um, importantly too, she's a wonderful writer. Uh, and uh, tonight we're going to talk about her book of collected work, Seeing Things, published by Occasional Papers. Um, I don't know how many, there's a number of familiar faces, we're getting a bit of a cult following. Uh, can I ask, uh, show of hands, how many people have been to one of these book clubs before? There's a handful. There's a handful. Well, you'll know the format then. Fundamentally, uh, Alice and I are going to talk for about 40 minutes. Uh, then I have a roving mic and I intend to use it by uh, launching myself into you, fundamentally. So be ready with questions. Um, the thing is going to be podcast afterwards, so do let us know who you are and what you do. That would be great. Great. Well, should we start? Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, well, let's kick off with the obvious question, Alison. I mean... Uh, Writing, your relationship with writing, why did you start writing and when? Um, I never didn't write. I, I had a, a mum who was an art teacher and dad who was an English teacher and you had to do it. You just, it was just normal. Mm. It was normal to write down uh, things you thought, um, little poems, you know, I mean it just was a, it was part of everyday life. So it wasn't a sort of sudden decision, it just um, was always there. Mm. And does, but how does that relationship between writing and uh, the, the, the ceramics that you do, do they feed into each other? Are they parallel? How does that work? Um, I think uh, the, the special nature of the kind of writing I've done is it's, it's, it's all commissioned. You know, I haven't chosen, apart from the, 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 the uh, introductions and the postscripts, which are the blue writing in the mm. book, um, which are sort of reflecting on the collection of, of uh, essays. Um, I've been sent out to do those things, pr practically all of them, mm. anyway. Um, and that makes it sort of random and interesting, and you meet people that you didn't know anything about before, and you go into someone's studio, and you have to get into a serious conversation straight away because the deadline is pressing, you know. Um, and that's just... So it's I, been, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a huge education, anyway. Uh, so I probably first went... I was asked by Liz Fritch when I just had a baby to write something for her catalogue in the um, 70s, the late 70s. Right. Um, so that having been published, it sort of... One thing led to another. Craft magazine started to ask me fairly soon. So I written a view did. Then there were monographs for other exhibitions and so on. So what I've tried to do in the book is gather lots of different kinds of writing um, and just pick out a sort of thread through those 30 years. Because there are some personal moments in there as well, right? I mean, there, there are little kind of... Uh, uh, one moment of your own kind of thinking about what critical writing you mm. talk about, mm -hmm. insider or outsider mm. criticism. Uh, so why did you, and there's a letter with a between you and a, a student who'd, who'd sent you a few questions. Yes, why did you yes. decide to, to Just, choose those? Well, I, I, was thinking, I was thinking of the reader, you know, I was thinking what will make it not boring. Mm. Um, so I wanted to have some really short pieces and some much more extended ones. And it, it, I ended up choosing a chronological order. Mm. I could have themed it, but I, it just seemed better to be boldly going through history in a way in the end, having keeping in mind that I was varying the pace and the tone and the sort of seriousness within the pieces I chose. Well, I was, I was interested in the chronology because, you know, if, if you're curating, you do mm. quite a lot of curating, it's not trendy 
chronology really anymore, is no. it? No. People no. do theme things, mm-hmm. they don't, they don't mm-hmm. like things running in a nice narrative mm-hmm. order, mm-hmm. and so I'm interested in why you decided. Yeah. It just seemed the most straightforward way to do it. If I had done it for a long time, and I did various different things, again, always by being directed in a certain direction, and responding to things that you know I was needing to mm. respond to, um, I couldn't think of a better way, actually, than... Because it, it is, to me, although it's a personal history, it is a sort of history mm. of those very exciting decades when a lot was expanding. Mm. Mm. I mean, you kick off with the, uh, your essay for the catalogue of the Maker's Eye. Mm. Obviously, uh, Ralph Turner died this week, very mm. sadly. Um, but I'm interested to and know... And he commissioned the exhibition. He, yes, he was, yeah. yes, he, yes. The Sorry. Should have pointed that. But I'm, I'm interested to know, because you refer, it's, the maker's eye is something that comes up mm. more than once mm-hmm. in the book subsequently. Mm. And I was interested to know, uh, well, for the audience's benefit as well, kind of the importance of that exhibition and what it did and, and why you refer to it on mm. a number of occasions. Well, it was quite early in my working life. I think I'd, um, well, if I left college in 73, this was in 83, wasn't it? So I'd, I'd been out for 10 years. Mm. So it was, it, and I was asked to be one of this group of 14 selectors, which spanned all generations and kind of grandnesses. I mean, Michael Cardew was one of them. Um, I was a kind of middle, middle-aged block, and then there were some much younger ones. But Ralph very carefully chose a huge spectrum of different people to have different opinions. Um, and it was a very good, serious job. You know, we could choose as many things as we liked, and they would find them, mm. you know. Um, a huge amount of money was spent on that exhibition. The Craft Council had, was itself re-evaluating its first decade, I think. So it was, it was a kind of milestone for them. It was saying, craft can be all these things. They, they, they chose to filter it through the maker's eye, as it very clearly states. Um, so it was, a, it was a really great thing to be asked to do. I found in the piece of writing I did, perhaps that was the first time I felt I had a sort of position. Right, um, that's I, interesting. I don't think I knew I had a position until I'd written it. Um, but I could see echoes of things that interested me in a sort of self-reflexive. So, so when you say a position, what, what do you what well, do you mean the, by that? Well, that, that um, it's something around this uh, not getting away from function, but not being enslaved by function. Something about um, playing with uh, some of craft conventions, but um, making them look at themselves in a way. Mm. And it felt um, that it linked with postmodernism in other forms, you know, uh, of sort of novels that are about the novel, you know, yes. and, and um, films that are about filming and so on. So that just, that just felt exciting. And I could see in the work of other people like Michael Rowe, perhaps, or, or just various objects, Andrew Lord, I'm saying, there's, a sort of, there's this self-questioning within the object mm. that seemed to be a thing that had emerged. And it was very exciting to me. And I really felt... Um, but it was a place to explore and to go on exploring. Because you talk about the relationship between modernism and postmodernism in the mm. book quite a bit. Mm. Uh, and I guess in an architectural sense, if, you, if, you know, if you, one was talking to an architectural audience, they'd be saying, well, postmodernism, that was created by, or at least identified by, Charles Jenks when a St. Louis housing estate was blown up in 1972. Mm. Uh, in a crafts context, I wonder, you know, how would you go about defining what modernism is and what... what Postmodernism is? Well, I think I had that sort of modernist art education. Right. Certainly, my first year in Leeds, um, that was very clearly so, based on sort of Bauhaus teaching. Um, but I don't think it's simply that one thing ends and the other thing takes over. I mm. think it's a kind of mesh, you know, of. of I mean, the first time Martina Margaret described my work as postmodern, I was horrified. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, didn't like it at all. Um, Why? It hadn't occurred to me that it was. Really, um, but it's uh, at the more I reflected back on on the moments of change, I suppose it, it does make sense. And uh, if you can understand that something doesn't finish in order for something to start, that there's a kind of um, fudge in the middle, overlap thing, which is true of an awful lot of phenomena. Mm. Um, then I think it's it's uh, it's an interesting place to acknowledge. But then you break the book up, because that's quite interesting, I think you're right, but it's interesting the way that you then break the book up into kind of decades. Yes. In quite strict 10-year kind of moments in the calendar. It's just a device. It's a way of chopping it up. And, and I wanted to have um, 
well, the, the publisher said to me, please write an introduction for each section. Mm. I tried and tried and tried and tried. I could not write an introduction for them. I, I could do an introduction to the whole book, but, but then I had to do a kind of looking back. Then I wanted to read those essays for one decade, and then I could talk about a sort of particular focus for that decade. And in the case of the 80s, it is the Maker's Eye exhibition and, yeah. and Ralph's thing. And in the 90s, it's thinking about Peter Dormer and Skill. And well, that's interesting, yes, because mm. I'm keen to come on to that, because mm. skill, is, skill is one of mm. the kind of underlying It's the baby in the themes that is yes. just is mm. coming through this thing like a thread. Mm. And it seems to me that at moments in the book, you're kind of regretful about the way you didn't take skill seriously yes. at given points in your career. I wonder if yeah. we could pick up on that. Yeah. Can I just finish the bit about the last decade? Finish the yeah, bit the about the last decade. The, the, um, <laughs> the, the postscript on the, on the last bit is more into a sort of new feeling of the possibility of the domestic as um, a, a sort of serious arena and the idea of the everyday. Mm. So, so in one case it's an exhibition, in one case it's a person, and in the last one it's an idea. Um, coming back to skill, um, I went to the central school and was taught a massive range of skills. Every day of the week was divided up into different particular skill-focused activities. You know, there was a throwing day, there was a decoration day, there was a glaze-making day and everything. Um, so I left the central school with a lot of skills under my belt and no idea what to do with them. Um, and when I came to the Royal College, there was no curriculum as such um, at that time. Unfortunately, that's all changed. Um, uh, so, so I, I sort of was watching some of my fellow students who had been to more kind of arty courses, Carol McNichol, for instance, just getting on with her work, um, sort of bringing with her some ideas about um, making peas out of casting slip or so on. Uh, and I thought, well, I, you know, I can do all these things, but what's worth doing? Um, so I was kind of, I came out of the RCA thinking, well, when you first start talking about your work in a ceramics audience, many people, the habit of the questioning at the end of a presentation was to say, so, so what's your biscuit temperature? Um, and, you know, to, to be technical, to be, to, for it to yeah. be not about what it is or what it might be saying, or, but, but to be, you know, to stick to the recipes and so on. So I think my generation really wanted to kind of not do that and to say other things. Um, then the years pass and teaching develops in this sort of broader way and there is less skill teaching perhaps and people are allowed to focus on one technique for their entire course, get good at just hand building or just throwing, whatever. So it, it, the breadth goes. Um, and then some of the skills fall out of everyday life. So whereas you used to be able to say, well, it's like rolling out pastry and then you realise that nobody's rolling out pastry. Um, so those kind of things. So there was sort of anxiety was gradually aroused. Mm. But at the point that Peter Dormer was doing um, that very controversial exhibition in, when the Craft Council moved to Islington called um, Beyond the Dovetail, um, I, was, I was on the other side of the argument from Peter at that point. And then later on, I, um, I was much more concerned that it will go nowhere if we throw all that knowledge away. Yeah, because you, you write actually um, in his in a, a piece that's in here that was a, I think a speech you gave at his After first he died, the, yes. the, the Dorma yeah. lecture. Yeah. Uh, you said I, I want to conclude with a sense of gratitude to Peter for making the environment in which I work more difficult. Mm. And I wondered what you meant by that. Well, he was a sort of wonderful scourge. I mean, he, he was. Um, <laughs> He was always hauling people up for sloppy thinking or, in his terms, you know, things that, that had to be argued with. Um, one of the sort of controversial things about the Beyond the Daft exhibition was he put work in it that was there to show how <clears throat> craft were getting too arty and going off the rails. And some people, when they realised they were in that section, took their work away. Um, and there hasn't been another exhibition in my craft life where that happened. Mm. You know, so he was, he was a very bold thinker, and he was a very political thinker. He'd been a, you know, a Labour councillor and, and in education before he became this sort of craft mm. figure. Um, so it was just, 
he was just, he was a really kind and friendly and gentle person, but he, his, his kind of, his critical sense um, was, it, it didn't kind of go on holiday, you know, it was always, it was always there. Well, because it feels like, a little bit, like you, you, you kind of want to have a spat with him in the book, but then it's a very craft spat. It's very genteel, right? Yes. I mean, I, I, when Christopher Frayling edited that catalogue, yeah. and, he, and he said, I want you to kind of put up a, you know, say something on the other, from the other side. And in my innocence, I thought, well, Peter will set out his stall, as it were, at the beginning, and I'll have a bit of a disagreement with him later on in the catalogue. But, of course, it was the other way around. My thing came first, and his was the <laughs> last word, um, which just changed the whole sort of feeling about yeah. it. And I mean, we would not, we would not have um, verbally um, come to an agreement. I don't think, in a way. Um, and there's a lots of ways in which, which I do retrospectively value his position more than I did at the time. Because there's, there's a remark about it, him attempting to. Because this is the interesting thing about mm. what you do is you're mm. you're a maker who also writes, and mm. obviously he was a writer, and you make. It's not catty, but it's it pointed. Mm. Who, he was a writer who tried to make well, he, and, he did and a struggled. PhD. You, you, yeah, he did you know. a PhD and he, and he put himself in the way of doing a short sort of apprenticeship with various different craftspeople, I think in wood and maybe in, I've actually forgotten the different areas, lettering maybe, yeah, I think you, yeah. Yeah, something else. Um, but not for very long. And he used himself as a kind of guinea pig in order to write, write his PhD, uh, which became a book later on. Um, but, but he wasn't, I mean, I, I think his, his real interest became more anxious about this sort of art blurring with craft. Um, and to me, that was where the excitement was, you yeah. know. So, so we couldn't have agreed on the, you know, in his lifetime. Um, and I remember... Um, I wanted to give him a piece, and, and, and he said, he, yes, he'd like a drug because he'd like something he could use, and I thought, well, that's fine. <laughs> um, but in the end, and there was a piece I actually had sort of absolutely lined up for him, and it went to a show that he'd curated that went to Japan. He didn't choose it. Um, it disappeared. It stayed in Japan. Um, and then he ended up choosing something quite sort of, well, not one of my best, in a way, something quite boring, maybe. And I now know that Jane has it in the toilet with the um, <laughs> with the uh, loo rolls in it or something. I think. <laughs> See, boring. I remember boring is a word that you use, and it's actually in in uh, capital letters in one of the pieces. I can't remember yeah. which one. But the, because the, the other thing running through the the the, the tome is is uh, the work of Bernard Leach, and your kind of opposition, I guess, to mm. to to that. Well, you use hmm. the word modernism, which, which I think is quite interesting. Well, there's still this strange... Um, I mean, I, I have for many decades thought of Leach as a modernist. But there are still people, and I think it even emerges in this Yale catalogue, which has just mm. happened, that there are people who think that he's a traditionalist. Yes. Um, well, I, I think they're missing something. You know, I, th I think he's, he's very much a modernist in, in that he's sort of reinvigorating traditions by looking out to Japan and, and, and bringing those kind of new, new uh, nourishment in. And I don't know what he would have thought of himself, but it seems pretty clear to me that that's, that's what that project is and that's what people like Oliver Watson and um, Paul Greenhouse think mm. too. Um, um, I'm lost the track of what I'm going with this. Um, Oh, I mean, yes, but I mean, I think the time I began to study, the leech phenomenon was so sort of pervasive that you just had to run away. You know, you had to do sort of start somewhere else. Mm. And by going to the central school rather than to Camberwell, which was still quite green and brown, um, <laughs> you could have a much more European orientation. Really. Interesting, uh, because what doesn't emerge in the book is, is that you, you talk about. Uh, your generation reacting against what Leash was doing, and I guess Cardew, but but what doesn't really maybe emerge? You see a shift. You, you identify this kind of installation craft as, as, as ceramics is mm. working mm. Uh, in the installation, but you don't necessarily feel a sense that they're reacting against what the new ceramics what what you were doing. Oh, I, I mean, they they might well be. Yeah, I mean, what what's interesting is that I'm actually really only mentioning. 
anybody, are these, these, this next generation, the Claire Twomey and Neil Brownswood and so on, in, it's part of the blue writing. It's yes. one of the things I've chosen to write, it's a reflection on the, on the last decade. Um, and one of the reasons for that is nobody actually commissioned me to review them. Uh, they thought, well, that's not her thing. You know, we'll ask somebody younger. Well, whatever. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what you thought, Grant. Um, <laughs> but, um, so, so I wanted to kind of, I wanted to kind of bring in that it hadn't passed me by, you know, yeah. and that to be part of something like Clay Rocks, that wonderful night at the V&A, when um, Keith Harrison was trying to set fire to the cartoons in the Raphael Gallery and so on, was um, was a breathtakingly wonderful evening, and I was very glad to be part of it. I was doing something quite staged that night. I was doing a personal tour of objects I liked um, for anyone who wanted to come and listen to it. But, but it, was a, it, was a, it was a splendid thing to be part of, mm. just on for one night. Do you think you're writing, because the book is chronological, uh, and you allude to the fact in the second piece of glue writing uh, that during the, the 90s, for instance, you felt your writing was on a, I think you use a, the term, firmer footing. Do you think your well, writing has progressed? Can you see a progression in, in kind of the way um, that you write? Or Yes, I think, I think it's, it, to very broadly generalise, I think the things that I wrote early on are very sort of breathless and enthusiastic and um, excited. I mean, I think I go on being excited. Um, I think I get more confident. Mm. And I think in the last section, maybe I get more opinionated, in a way. But the last section is very much more about ceramics. Yes, it is, yeah. Yes, that wasn't necessarily on purpose. You know, I think it, the nice thing about writing the, writing the summary afterwards, rather than to introduce, is that you can sort of see what you've what you've found most necessary to choose. Mm. And, and then that, that happened to be the case. It was more ceramics. I mean, I was quite intrigued by uh, your, there's a quote in the book called, uh, where, where you say, copy on the cross is irritating if it has to keep referring to the object uh, in question to other art forms. Uh, <coughs> but, in, in, but in some ways, and you've kind of alluded to this already, mm. that quite a lot of the pieces are about craft's place. Mm. And I, I wonder where you think craft's place is now. Well, and whether those yeah. hierarchies matter. Yes. I actually can't remember where, where, I, where I said that, but anyway. That was, in, that was on uh, page 145, It was one you, you wrote in response to, I think you'd been in Norway, uh, uh, kind of thinking about critical writing page. Uh-huh. Oh. Yeah. Holland, I think. Holland, <laughs> sorry. Um, just recap that for me. What am I, what am I answering? Uh, well, where Crafts Place is now, yeah. and whether, whether it still leans towards writing about art or design, or you know, do, yeah. you, do you feel it has a confident place in the world, I wonder? I, do, I think it has a very confident place in the world, yeah. I think um, various sort of anxieties about it not... I mean, I think I've made, I've made it sort of very clear that I think it's a fluid place, mm. and I think that's what's exciting about it. Um, and the word craft, I mean, for several, well, probably decades, nobody could bring themselves to say craft. They had to say applied art or something else, you know. That, but, um, and I think the Craft Council has been incredibly forthright in, in sort of saying, you know, it's nothing wrong with the word. Um, and I think when it's backed up by lots of craft beer and all sorts of other things, it is, a, it is, it is becoming a very acceptable word. But it's not just about the word. I mean, I think the, the, the territory, I think it's, it's, it gains from, from this fluidity. And I think on my, on my back flap, I'm talking about it, it being, you know, uh, um, moving. What do I actually say? Um, and it, un, unstable, you know, that it, that it can be perceived as having very much in common with art or very much in common with design. Mm. And I do say early on that, I, that possibly it doesn't exist as a thing in itself. It's a way of doing things and that maybe art and design could cover all those material objects. Um, and if there's a particular attention to, to how it's done, maybe then it becomes part of the craft world. Mm. But that's just one, one reading. You know, it isn't the only thing I think. I was intrigued by the fact you included a radio interview 
in the book yes. with Michael mm. Rosen mm. that was on Radio 4, mm. I believe. Mm. So why did you decide to do that and what did it, what did it bring to well, the book? Well, I think it brings a very different kind of thing to read because it's a quite light and, and jokey because Michael, you know, not a very serious, I mean, not a heavy kind of person to be interviewed by. <laughs> um, it also, I think, it brought a different flavour and a different visual look. It looks very nice on the page mm. with the, the, the discussion, the argument going, the, the, you know, the to and fro, the conversation. Um, it enabled me to bring in pictures of very mundane things like bundles of tools and lumps of stuff. And, you know, so it's really a chance to, to point out the mundanity of a lot of craft process, that it's quite slow and it's quite messy and it's quite a slog. And so it isn't all just about the, the sort of finished work and the, and the critical perspective looking back, but it's actually kind of right there in the studio and something coming out of the bag and mm. being questioned by someone who pretends he doesn't know what it's about, you know, and asks kind of idiot questions. Um, <laughs> And it just, it just gave a very different flavour. But you also have to describe a lot on the radio, right? I mean, it must be quite yeah. a tricky, tricky yes. thing to do. Yes. I mean, I, and, I, and I think it was a nice thing to transcribe as well, because obviously I worked from a tape. Um, and so there's some things that get slightly adjusted in order to make it mean something on the page. Mm. Mm. I mean, at one point you compare writing a poem to making a pop. I mean, mm. we're talking about different art mm. forms now. Mm. And I'm wondering, you know, do you find one discipline more difficult than the other? Well, I haven't written a poem since I was about nine, um, or possibly 14. Um, so, although I read poetry, I don't think I'm engaged in it as a practice anymore. Um, I think, I think the, the way I make pots, it's a sort of setting out into something I don't know what it's going to be, and I think that's a bit like writing a poem. Mm. And it's, uh, it's something that you draft and redraft. You know, you bang something down and then you alter it. And that's also how I work with clay. I, I set out with a very loose idea of what the object will be. And I set myself some, some kind of interferences with the sheet of clay or whatever that sets an idea rolling. But, but I can go on uh, adjusting something, you know, over and over again. And, and the layering, the building up of, of things to make the final decision. I think that is like working with words, actually. Hmm. Um. Well, can we talk about, because the other thing that comes through the book is this, this uh, interest you have in the vessel and this kind of... Except I hate the word the vessel. All right. Fascination with containment. The pot. <laughs> the pot. All right. Fascination with the pot and this, this interest in containment. Mm. I mean, can we talk a bit about where that comes from and how that began? Um, I don't know when it, it sort of emerged as, as, as sort of my subject because when I was doing ceramics at school, I did lots of different things. Um, the teacher was someone who made murals in airports, and I worked with her putting things up in, well, certainly in Leeds and Bradford Airport that have now been removed. Um, so I didn't think it was a kind of, and we, we didn't think about the wheel very much. So I did make coil pots, and I'd certainly looked a lot at um, the British Museum, African collections, the Museum of Mankind, and so on, from early on. Um, I didn't know the pot was my subject, I don't think, until perhaps the end of being at the RCA, or even after leaving the RCA, actually, when I first worked in the four or one and a half studios. It just seemed, because I did a lot of tiles when I first left college, mm. and um, swimming pools and bathrooms and things. So when I began to make objects, uh, I had the Martin Brothers quite a lot in mind in the first things I was making. Um, it gradually emerged that because of the, this lovely process with the sheet of clay and the fact that you can paint on it before you began to make the form, um, it just seemed that the hollow, the hollow form, where you can look into it and you can compare its inside with its outside, began to have a sort of potency for me that other things don't have. And whether that's um, physical more or metaphorical more, I'm not sure, but I mean most, most interesting things like people have an interior and an exterior. Mm. Um, so it's not hard to kind of to think some of that uh, comparison of external and internal into, into being interested in a form. 
You also make the point that it's a combination of skills as well. It's, it's painting and sculpture. Mm, yes. Was, yes. was, was, was yeah. there a, a kind of conscious uh, thought that this is what you were doing at the time? I wonder. Um, only after I'd done it for a bit. Right. Yeah. But that that it goes on. That, that's something that uh, it seems a huge advantage. You know that you can only be operating with them both at once. Mm. In, I mean, you talk a, a lot in the book about or. The, the people you were with at the Royal College and the, the stuff you were kind of rubbing up against, if you like, in terms of Leach and other things. But in terms of your writing, I wonder, you know, who, who inspires you? Is there a kind of uh, style that you definitely didn't want to pursue? Do you take those con kind of conscious decisions about your writing in the same way that you do about your ceramics? I think when I began writing, I just, I just wrote, and the, the way it came out was the way it came out. Mm. And I probably had the confidence to do, the, to do that because of my childhood and school and so on. Um, when I began to read other um, critical writing, yeah, of course, there are some things that are far more moving than others or powerful than others. I was very lucky to have a brief interview with Ernst Gombrich um, when he was a very old man because I was doing writing my dissertation about the difference, it wasn't a dissertation, but a little essay of the RCA about the difference between, between art and decoration, which is another dichotomy, you know, not art mm. and craft, but art and decoration. <clears throat> and I was looking at Persian carpets and things like that. Um, and he had just done the lectures called the um, Reitzman Lectures on, well, they became the book called The Sense of Order. A Sense of Order, I think it's called, which is about decoration. Um, so, so a sort of half an hour, 40 minutes with him was, was very exciting and I think he's a wonderful, clear writer. Astonishing when you think, you know, it's a completely acquired language in adulthood, I think, <coughs> or in childhood, I think he's a refugee. Um, and then, then yes, I, I mean, I loved, I loved Peter's writing. I think Peter's a very clear writer. I think there's, there's been some amazing writing going through uh, craft magazine, the sort of people that were invited by the various editors. There's been some great writing in that. John Houston was a great writer. Mm. Um, so there's been a, it's been a sort of field in which you you can um, you know sense that you're part of something that's very alive, you know. And um, perhaps at the moment, um, I think Shane Enright is a great writer, and he writes for the magazine a lot. And I, and I think that's very much something. You know, he gets into a sort of depth that's that's really important. Very good. We've been speaking for a little bit over half an hour. I'm keen to get you guys involved. You've been sat in, sitting here very patiently. So what I'm thinking is I'm going to come out with a microphone and I need somebody to put their hand up and ask a question. And I'm guessing by the time I reach for my mic that somebody's hand will be in the air. So here goes. I'm reaching now. Anybody need to ask a question? Don't be shy. The first one's always tricky. Ah, excellent. And we're being podcast, so if you could let us know who you are and what you do, that would be marvellous. Thank you. Uh, my name's Henry Pym, and I'm a, I don't know, self-sustaining ceramist, something excellent. like that. <laughs> um, there were two things that you said, Alison. One was that, uh, this is a sort of a simplification, that you don't necessarily know what your position is going to be until you've written it that the, the writing process perhaps helps you to clarify what you're yeah. thinking. And the other one, which in a way surprised me, was that you'd been asked by your publisher to write an introduction and you just couldn't do it. So I'd like to know if you've got any tips for, for, for how you put writing together and, and what you do when you encounter difficulty. Drink, largely. Uh, uh, well, I mean, I could write an introduction to the whole thing. I just couldn't do it sort of decade by decade. I couldn't do the thing which said, in the 80s, uh -huh, uh -huh, we're really important. I had to kind of show you the bits I wanted to use to look at and then come back with you to them. It just seemed a much more logical and more interesting process to do it that way around. Um, but in the, in the writing process in general, you have to get some excitement to do it. Um, you have to find something, you see something that you can latch onto and think that's a starting point. And it is, it's like all sorts of craft processes. You, you lay something down and something else will come out of it. You know, you, I mean, I think partly having been brought up with a father who was an educationalist and who was very interested in language development and children and education, etc. I mean, just from things I picked up, um, 
I know that if you just read something that you've just written, the next bit very often pops out. You know, it's not like you've got to make them all separately and stitch them together. That just the kind of going through an idea that you've had, it just is like a springboard into the next bit. And it doesn't always work, but it often does. And he, uh, I think I mentioned in my dormer lecture that there's an example of a, of a 10-year-old kid who's just saying, he's just saying exactly that. He's just saying, you know, it's easy. You just kind of look at it, and then it, there it is, you know. Um, and he's obviously someone who has never been blocked, you know. He's never been, been told to do it a certain way. Um, and hasn't had grammar rammed down his throat before he could use, you know, express some ideas. Um, so I think I have a sort of optimistic approach. And, and if, if something is very difficult... I mean, I remember trying to write the um, introduction for Martina's book for Thames and Hudson about contemporary crafts. Um, I had to walk around Highbury Fields for days, you know. I really, really couldn't get into the right mode for beginning it. But once I had begun it, um, it you just have to persevere. I mean, it's, it, you, even, you, you, you often put down things that are real rubbish just so that they're there and then I can go back and change them. You know? and, I, and I think making, making, it's a making process across all, a lot of media, isn't it? That, that if you're painting something, uh, blank canvas is very, very threatening and then once you put something on it even if it's awful you can then change it so but I think you have to have a sort of there is a sort of self-confidence in that I think in that thinking that you can be you can critically it's called critical reflecting isn't it you know you think that blodge is awful so you get a different color and you try something else so it's sort of cut and paste a lot is it um it used to be literally that of course before the computer on the carpet with the scissors yes yeah. Um, yes, and the nice thing now is that you can move things around and try them in different places, can't you? There, there is this fluidity in working on the computer. I feel we've broken the seal with the difficult first question. <laughs> so it's the less difficult second question. Anybody? Yes, absolutely. Coming straight for you. Um, I'm Jeremy White. I build tree houses and do lighting. Um, uh, it's a quick one. What's wrong with the word the vessel? Oh. <sighs> um, well, it's in the Bible, isn't it? It's, um, it's used of women. It's used of... It, it has a sort of precious aura around it. And I think the moment when I really gave up on it... I used to use it myself. But it's, it's a sort of poeticized version of a container or a pot. And the point when, over there in America, people around Garth Clark started talking about vessel-oriented ceramic objects, which could be shortened into vocos, I gave up at that point. <laughs> yes, hang on, I'm coming towards you. I'm just going to try not to knock anything over. There you go. Thanks. Hi, I'm Lauren. I'm a PhD student. Um, you talked about the loss of a kind of a breadth of skills making and the loss of skills out of out of everyday life. I wonder if you could just talk as an educator yourself how you think about where skill is in education today. Huh, that's really hard. because um, I, I mean for the last the last decades I've only taught MA students. And so I haven't been there for, for how you kind of set the parameters in the beginning. Um, I mean, you still do meet people who are amazingly skilled, but I, I can't tell you how they got to be that, in a way. Um, no, I really can't, can't give you... I mean, I, I just suppose my, my attention came to, to the kind of fear of the loss of it. I don't actually know how we make sure it's put back. And, and, the, and the way that... that um, Children's education is going. It's it's just not going to help at all, is it? I mean, it's just. I mean, I think something that Rosie's working on is very much to try and sort of reinstill the importance of craft in education. But but the general flavour. I mean, I now have four granddaughters, and two of them are in schools, and um, art's going out the window. I mean, it really is. Have you have you noticed a difference in the MA students that you're teaching at the Royal College since you started? It's been a very long time, so yeah, there's been various well. changes. I don't think I can sum them all up. I mean, I think um, it also depends where they've been educated. 
on the whole, we try and get the ones that can do something. And then um, they get the chance to learn something they've never done. You know, they might, they might just have concentrated on one, one kind of direction. And then uh, the habit in the RCA in the first year of the MA is to throw them into things they've never done and to say, you can sledge plaster, you know, and, and they have these workshops in the beginning um, where you're sort of encouraged to do things that you didn't think you wanted to do. Mm. <laughs> to broaden it all out. More questions? Whoa, right at the back. How am I going to get to you? I'm going to try, though. <laughs> Sorry, if I try not to knock anybody or anything over, I'm coming towards you now. There you go. Uh, hello, I'm Jade Meller. Um, I'm a maker of jewellery and objects, and I also work at Jewelwing Jewellery Gallery. Um, and I just wondered, with what you were saying about the loss of skills, maybe, um, do you think that 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 makes them more precious and the fact that there maybe are fewer people with these amazing skills makes it more appreciated today. That would be great, wouldn't it? Um, I think it might be, yes, that there'll be more awe for, for something. But, but also, if you don't know a bit about how things are made, you don't actually appreciate how skillful it is. So I think a lot of people, because we see so many beautifully manufactured things, um, it's difficult to know the labour went into something if it's handmade. So I think it's all, it's all the job of, of, of people in this field to, to be articulate about it, to, say, you know, to point out how. And I think people are looking at um, demonstration things, aren't they? Because you can do that on YouTube and things, can't you? As well, and understand it. There's, there's some fabulous films made by Studio Glitheroe about process, about craft processes. Um, some of them are sort of industrial print process and stuff. There's an incredible film about making it must be an invitation for Studio Glithero. They were design product students at the RCA about a decade ago, I think. Um, and there's something where they make an invitation. It's like a folded aeroplane, and it has incredible layers of print, and they adapt the machine to make it fold it into a plane and not an envelope. And it's just breathtaking. I mean, it's a mixture of industrial skill and hand skill. But those kind of things are being shown in exhibitions as, as artworks, really. As, um, and I think they're very persuasive. Incidentally, yes, real to real. Festivals. I don't yes. want to obviously yes. blow my own trumpet too much, yeah. but I, yeah, yeah. I'm over here. I'm going to. Um, I'm at the back now. So if anybody at the question at the back has a question, hi, hi. Uh, I'm Chloe. I just started at the RCA, so I was wondering if you had any advice as a new student. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, what course have you started on? Jewelry and metal. Uh, okay. I think get stuck in. I mean, just do whatever you can and whatever you want. And ask lots of questions. Um, can you talk a little bit about, you were mentioning what your generation had to say, you know, when you were talking about your work. Mm. How do you see that, because I, I, I'm not someone who really knows a lot about art history or anything like that, and I'm just starting in ceramics more seriously. Mm. But how do you see what Sarah's today have to say? How do you see the craft today compared well, to how it was hmm. at your, when you were beginning? I think, it, I think it's, 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 it's changing all the time. So, so if, my, um, if my generation um, needed to, to have a sort of rethink and a restart after this very solidly dominating leech phenomenon, leech and cardio and the, the throne the idea of the studio potter, the kind of rural context, and the um, well, Oliver Watson described it very, very well as as kind of ethical, the ethical pot, as opposed to the expressive pot. That's quite a good division, I think. Um, so then, what followed was much less ethical and more inclined to look at all kinds of other cultural um, sources. I mean, that it is the period when you, when you began working as well, Henry, it was very much, you know, grabbing all sorts of, and, and the Angus Sutty, who was so wonderful, who was your great friend, um, was looking all over the world, wasn't he, for, for just stimulus. I mean, I, I think that's very, um, it's very available, isn't it? And so it's, it's, it's what you do with it when you've seen it all that's important, or how you kind of incorporate it in something that's, that's your own. Um, I mean, I, I think um, 
it may be odd that I've gone on making pots, but it seems still to have meaning for me. If it didn't, I, I would be doing something else. But it's, I can quite understand how people younger than me, um, it has less meaning. You know, I mean, it could come back, and I, and I think in lots of ways. There's a huge enthusiasm for Lucy Ree and things now, isn't there? Um, Another audience coming into this very sort of pure modernist uh, and more functional kind of world. But um, I think that there's just so much potentially going on. It, it's it's the job of, of of people who write about it to kind of draw some threads. And but it's quite a personal thing to do. You draw the threads that interest you, you know, and somebody else will draw another lot of threads. Um, I, I'm not giving you a sensible answer, but I, I just think um, things that seem alive, where the vitality is, uh, changes. I mean, I can I can admire a lot of cardio pots more than Leach's because I think there's more vitality in them. I think I think he was a better thrower, you know. And, and although Leach was a hugely important figure, I am I'm much more inclined to have a sort of reverberation of enthusiasm with a cardio than with a leech. But you write with uh, rather a lot of enthusiasm about Lucy Ree and Hans Coper. Yes, yes. Well, well Coper was my tutor, um, which made a, a, a mean I knew, I knew him quite well. And I, and I think because they were, they were just bringing another whole channel of attention um, from Europe um, that acknowledged kind of modern design, that acknowledged modernism and, and so many things that were more profoundly expressed in Europe than they were in Britain, I think. And also urban, as yes, opposed to urban, rural, which, yes, seen, which is another theme that runs through yes, your, it your, is, your yeah. writing, I think. Yeah. Mm. Um, any more questions? Yes. Um, slightly strange question. I'm Katya Lakshtanova. I'm a amateur ceramist and I use research in my work. Um, it's a question about um, waste and stuff, mm. and uh, I just wonder if it ever comes to your mind when you bring, you make stuff, you know, what happens to it after, you know, and this whole cycle and you know how, yeah, how much you think about, like, do you bring more stuff? And yeah, where it's all going. Um, yes, I mean, I don't make hundreds of things. Um, I, I, think, I think it is something I think of. I'm actually very frugal when I work, you know, my, um, my sort of recycling of old bits of clay into the slips and so on is um, quite extreme, you know. But I, do, I mean, there are people who don't think they can fire anything because that's putting some transformed, kind of indestructible thing into the world. I think it can end up in hardcore, that's all right. I mean, I, I, it's not something that keeps me awake at night on, on, on this field. It's so small, my production, compared to industrial production or whatever. So when you look at your piece uh, and thinking, should I fire it, you know, and then I'll see how it comes, you know, mm. does it ever come to your like mind, like, you know, what, it's another of million things, you know, which we produce as humans and, you know, we've been producing it for years and years and years. Um, and I, I, think, I think if I think it's, if it's finished, then I think it's worth firing. If, I mean, there are some things, there are one or two things that I've smashed after firing them, but quite often I smashed, I mean, I, I'm more likely to smash it before I've fired it. Um, if it's not, if I don't think it should live in the world. But I mean, I'm, you know, it's, it's I make <clears throat> 20 pieces in a year. It's not it really hugely adding to the Is it problem. consciously you're making 20 pieces <coughs> a year, or it's kind of like, that's, I, you allow yourself to do No, it's, I'm not rationing, no. I, um, I, I do other things as well, I, you know. My name is Ed Wolf, I'm a gardener. Um, I went to the toilet, or tried to find a toilet in a museum in Amsterdam last week, and I came across and it said, gender-neutral facility. And um, my question is this, in the age that numbers of men and women should be roughly equal, should I be worried that there are far more women here than men? <laughs> and are, they, are the men not interested in the subject as much? I, I think that's it. That's, yeah, I mean, it's quite a valid question, because the interesting yeah. thing is when you talk about Leash and Cardio, they're men, and you talk about your generation, and quite often they're, they're, they're led not exclusively, but often mm. by, by women. Mm. Should we get into a gender? Yeah, this is a very difficult question to cope with, Ed. Um, I think... Um, 
ceramics is something in which women have thrived. Um, I think that there may be, well, if I think of, of going back to perhaps the, the 70s, um, I think when I was a student at the RCA, there was one woman in sculpture. It would be now ridiculous, to, you know, it's very much equal now, but, but, but during certain decades, I, I think it, it just, having previously been more equal, it became very masculine at a certain time. It sort of goes in and out. Um, there's a wonderful book about gender in the potteries, uh, in, in the kind of factories, about how women are doing the decorating and men are making the shapes. And that's still probably in place. You know, that, that, not, that, we, you know not that it's happening everywhere. Um, I think more women come to talks, honestly. There was, there was a lovely moment, uh, new designers I witnessed uh, this year, where somebody asked what the difference, new designers are split into two, two weeks, and the second week is more industrial, and the, the first week is more textiles, and, and uh, they asked one of the security guards what the difference between the two weeks was, and the security guard turned to them and said, well, the first week is for the girls, and the second week is for the fellas. <laughs> <laughs> um, any more questions? Hello. Um, my name's Rosie, and uh, I was struck at the beginning, I think you said this, that you said that all the writing had been commissioned, so you hadn't chosen to write something, and I'm quite struck about that. Does that is that why you're a potter as opposed to a writer? Well, it's, it's almost true. Um, I think there's a little bit of correspondence. There's me answering a letter in Craft Magazine that, that somebody else sent in, for instance, um, I think bits, little bits have crept in that I've just spontaneously written. But on the whole, I was really intrigued by, by the lack of control I had, in a way, about um, what, what I was engaging with in order to write. And, and the, the editing job of choosing the strands to include, I've chosen about a quarter of the potential material that I was, have turned out over those decades. So it's really, my, my, my selection was what made the thread of the book. But the still, still the fact was there that, that it was Craft Magazine saying, will you go and review this? Or it was an artist saying, can you write something for my catalogue? And that, that, is, that is what jobbing writers do, isn't it? I mean, that, that is... Um, is, it, is it something new about <coughs> needing the, the, the constraints of a brief then? Yes, I think so, yeah. Because there's always a lot of different things to do. And if you've got a deadline, then you do it, in my experience. And if it's absolutely open, you think you're going to do it, and you might do it one day. But um, a deadline is a great help. Any more questions? Otherwise, I'm going to close it down. Going once, going twice, we're done. Guys, thank you so much for coming. <laughs>